So today, we are going to be talking about tax breaks for Titans. We have an incredible panel of speakers here with us. Um, so to start off, we have Larry Brown, who is the Legislative and Political Director for the Aerospace Machinist Union District 751. He has worked in the aerospace industry for over 40 years and worked for the union for 17 years. We also have Reuben Carlisle, who is a Washington State Senator representing the 36th District. He oversees a region of more than 140,000 constituents, including the world headquarters for Amazon and Expedia. And before being appointed to the state Senate, he served in the state House of Representatives from 2009 to 2016. We also have Chris Schobloom, who is the research director and senior economist at the Washington Research Council, where he has authored reports on issues like the state's economy, its tax system, transportation, and housing. And he's served on the Washington State Governor's Council of Economic Advisors since 1995. We also have Ron Sims, who was appointed by Governor Jay Inslee to the chair of the Washington Health Benefit Exchange Board. He previously served as the Deputy Secretary for the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. And during this time, he managed the day-to-day -day operations of an agency with 8,500 employees and an operating budget of nearly $40 billion. Finally, we have our moderator, Drew Adkins. He's a longtime local journalist who previously uh, worked as CrossCut's managing editor, and he's currently at work on an illustrated book about wealth inequality. So let's give a round of applause for our panelists. We also want to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors, without whom none of this would be possible, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Killinger Foundation, and our business track sponsor, BECU. So without further ado, take it away, Drew. Thanks so much. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, thanks for being here for a discussion about taxes uh, so, so early on a Saturday. Um, so as everyone here knows, uh, right now there are states and cities across North America that are competing to give the world's richest man a huge giveaway. Um, in competition for Amazon's HQ2, Missouri has offered $2.4 billion in incentives including a highly unusual $200 million to directly invest in Amazon stock, basically putting taxpayer money directly in the pockets of shareholders. New Jersey, they didn't make the shortlist. New Jersey offered $7 billion in tax incentives, more than the $5 billion Amazon has pledged to invest, and they are in the running, Newark, uh, of the 20 locations that Amazon says are their shortlist. Um, Amazon might have reason to think that one day they might start seeing some perks from Seattle and Washington. Washington State leads the way uh, in these sort of giveaways and cutouts, including the biggest corporate tax break in U.S. history to Boeing, valued at $9 billion uh, over a period of time. Um, that's more than any state is offering Amazon, and for less assurances on creating local jobs and making local investment. Some blame these tax cuts, um, in particular the Boeing one, for some of our budget shortfalls, including in education, and point to a 15% reduction in Boeing state employees after the break. Others believe that they were a very necessary investment. Uh, Boeing's share overall of employees in the state has increased uh, since that time uh, versus other places, and they ensure the future of the industry in the state. Um, we're very lucky to have such an uh, esteemed panel here of uh, leaders who have all grappled uh, with this issue. Um, so I'd just like to jump right in. Uh, starting with uh, Senator Carlisle. Uh, you helped negotiate these breaks. 
Where is he again? There he is. Uh, you help negotiate these breaks. Uh, you've studied their effects very closely. Um, so what do you say to those who look at them, look at what states and cities are offering Amazon right now and see a bad deal for, for taxpayers? Well, first of all, thank you very much for the opportunity to be here. And uh, it's an important part of our civic discussion to really dive into some really important civic issues today. Just want to take a super brief moment and acknowledge former Rep Representative Moscoso, who's with us here today and uh, done a lot of work on this important topic as well. Um, you know, I guess at the end of the day, it's very important to put the issue on the table and in context, and that is we have more tax preferences, exemptions, and credits than any state in the nation because we have the most upside down, backwards, and sideways tax structure than any state in the nation. Because we don't have a corporate income tax or a personal income tax, we have a really uh, fractured system. And so that ultimately has led to a scenario where we've carved out from meaningful levels of taxes for industry sectors, aerospace, agriculture, timber, and technology. That's not to say they don't pay taxes, but the structure is, is at a very low level. And so many of our exemptions are designed around doing that. There are other states that have sort of similar carve-outs overall, but ours take hundreds of exemptions in order to, to sort of carve them out. Uh, as a part of the negotiations around the Boeing uh, package, uh, Larry Brown and I and, and many others put, put our heads down and really tried to figure out what is the responsible social contract for the state and for the taxpayer. And it was a very serious challenge. We had some very substantive wins in that, and we had some very substantive losses in that. And I don't think we should acknowledge anything other than that. In context of Amazon, I have to stay straight up. There is a fundamental difference, in my view, between manufacturing and service level. The difference between the margins in the software industry in the internet industry, in the cloud computing, internet of things and other advanced technologies versus manufacturing is fundamentally different. And I think that low margin, globally competitive sectors like aerospace are, are really a different consideration than very high margin technology sectors. And I think that goes to the core of what kind of packages we need to look at. Mr. Sims, uh, when you ran for governor in 2004, you called the Boeing tax cuts um, basically a tool with which the, the budget had a huge hole blown in it. Um, after that, they were expanded even further under Jay Inslee. What, what, did, you, what did you think when that happened, and what are your, your thoughts on their value? You know, it's, it's interesting. If you could shift to your left, you won't be branded by the projection. Oh, okay. <laughs> now I'm in my comfort zone. I'm to the left. Yeah. <laughs> The, um, at that time, it was interesting. At that time, the, what I was arguing is that the, um, we didn't have an income tax, which I thought was important, and we had a B&O tax, which I thought was a regressive. And I thought, you know, hold a second. Why don't we, I always thought we could use the uh, issues about how you keep the Boeing company on the issues of taxation to actually stimulate a much greater discussion on what kind of taxes you should have in the 21st century, the 20th century at the time when I was when I was running, and say, you know, we know what we have now doesn't work very well. You can't say that the B&O tax and sales tax is going to be adequate or property taxes. You just can't go there. So the issue to me was, how then can we have this discussion? And so it was e they were the prime target for me. It was just easy to talk about, let's have this debate on, you know, here's a company um, that produces a lot of jobs. 
Here's a company that, whose history would show that for African Americans in particular, they hired a lot of people to work in their business, and that was the reason why African Americans were able to buy homes uh, and create their own capital. Um, they, um, and so you weren't looking at a company hostile. I wasn't trying to be hostile. To me, it was just interesting, why don't we just kind of junk what we have? which is uh, B&O tax punishes you whether you make money or not. Um, and uh, income tax, I thought, was much better a tax for corporations and individuals to pay. Um, so th they were just sitting there waiting for a comment, and I decided to use them, as all politicians do when you're running, uh, to say, hold a second. We've got a decision to make on whether or not we're going to say, here's one more tax break, or are we going to have tax reform? We will still need tax reform. Larry Brown, um, you, you have an interesting perspective on this. As a representative of the union, that includes many, many Boeing workers. So Newark, New Jersey, um, is, is the biggest package that's being offered to Amazon right now. And part of the reason for that is they have extremely high unemployment, um, much higher than the national average from, from some estimates, almost double. Um, so may, maybe you can talk a little bit about the the the, the use of these sort of incentives to spur or keep jobs as they were used here in, in Washington State to, you know, to keep a lot of your, your people working. Yes, thank you. And, and to put uh, the machinist union support for these tax incentives for Boeing in perspective, I think we have to also put it in context. Uh, we will recall 9-11 was a catastrophic event for the air transport industry and the Boeing uh, sales and delivery uh, market collapsed. And a membership in 9-11 of 35,000 within a very short period of time, 20,000 workers were laid off. That's just hourly workers. A commensurate number of salary and engineering type folks also lost their jobs at Boeing. So when Boeing decided for the very first time to put the next airplane program to bid across the nation. We had, uh, previous to that, built every airplane model, wings and fuselage, uh, here in Washington State. Uh, you know, quite frankly, we were very concerned. Corporate headquarters had moved back to Chicago, and it seemed like the commitment to Washington State by Boeing had been diminished. And so we thought it was important to uh, support the $3.2 billion tax incentive package that would start, was passed in 2003 and would expire in 2024. Uh, and so we supported that. Uh, what we didn't know, however, was that the 787 wings would be built in Japan the second line that eventually was announced to be moved in 2010 would go to South Carolina. So we only bought part of an airplane and only part of the jobs. Uh, the market did recover. Uh, airlines started collecting uh, and taking delivery of aircraft. We hired back most of the machinists that got laid off. And then we went into the 2013 777X uh, bidding for uh, the right to build that airplane. Uh, a package, tax incentive package that uh, Senator Carlisle uh, worked on and we worked with uh, the legislature to help develop some proposals. 
We had asked, and to their credit, to the governor's credit, we asked that they not, they prohibit uh, the wings from going anywhere else, that no second line could go anywhere else. And we thought we had built a strong case for keeping the jobs in Washington State. And uh, so we supported that uh, $8.7 billion tax incentive, so many uh, tax incentives, hard to keep track. Uh, but we did support it because we thought it would protect these good middle-class jobs here in our region. So if I can just touch, touch back on that, um, I've, I've talked to a lot of politicians over the years from both parties about the negotiations of these, these breaks, and whenever I bring up um, attaching more strings, um, such as keeping jobs here, guaranteeing a certain amount of growth, as Amazon is doing right now, um, for, for the people that are, are essentially bidding for its, its, um, it, its company to come to town. They always mention that we didn't have the, the leverage uh, or the bargaining power to do that and that Boeing just refused and, and that was that. Um, with the infrastructure they had in the state and all the workers in the state, uh, why were we at such a disadvantage in that negotiation? I think that's a great question and I believe we had more leverage than we thought we did. Uh, it's not that Boeing isn't willing to make decisions that may be questionable in terms of the return on investment. Um, the 787, for example, uh, about $30 billion more cost to bring it to market than what they anticipated by disaggregating the manufacturing across the globe, including South Carolina, Italy, and everywhere else. Um, we know that in Washington State, if we build that airplane, it will be built on time and delivered in a profitable manner. So um, unfortunately, although we got the assurances for the wings and no derivatives being built anywhere else, uh, Boeing subsequent to the passage of that extension has to this date moved over 16,500 jobs out of our state uh, just since the tax incentive. So we had tried to do a tax incentive um, uh, accountability measure, which was very difficult uphill climb. We've not been able to get that done. We at this point are looking to the next airplane. And we, th we think these tax incentives are very valuable at this point, so long as we get the jobs that come from it. Uh, Chris, I'd love to bring you in. Uh, you've been on the, let's see, the Council of Economic Advisors under four governors, is it? Yes. Uh, in yes. Including um, Gary Locke and Jay Inslee, the, the two governors who yes. both passed and, and expanded these these tax cuts, respectively. I know you're a free market guy. Um, you know, if if Amazon comes along and starts wanting some of the say property uh, tax cuts that some other cities are are offering them right now, do you think that we should be thinking about giving it to them to keep them around? So, um, actually, because of our constitution which requires all property to be, to, to be taxed um, uniformly, um, we can't give them property tax uh, breaks. Um, that's, the, that's just the state of the, of, um, of the law in this state. Okay. That's actually one of the strengths of, a, of, our, of, our, of our property tax system. And, and additionally, we, the Constitution has been interpreted to say that it's very diffi make it very difficult 
for the state to simply write a check for a, bu a business to a business mm -hmm. to, to lure them to come, as as many other states do. Do you do you foresee there ever being a case for for giving Amazon perks to continue to to grow in the, in the area? I, I just I think that the, the that the dynamics with Amazon are so much different from Boeing that that we're really not likely to get into the kind of bidding war. I mean, Amazon is not going to threaten to pull up stakes and move all of those jobs someplace else. You know, this is the, this is it's, what they're doing in Seattle is fundamentally a people business. They, if they wanted to move, they'd have to move all of those people. Um, that we will see marginal increases and decreases, and there may be some some talking along. But I I think that they're much more worried about quality of life issues in Seattle um, than they are on on taxes and on the educational system and a whole bunch of things that that contribute greatly to their success um, and which the public sector has a great deal of uh, of influence over and that those kinds of areas are where they will be focusing their attention rather than on on tax breaks. Okay, so the the Amazon HQ two um, issue has has kind of raised a debate in a lot of the country that we've been having here in Washington State for a long time. Um, I reached out to somebody who is very critical of uh, these tax breaks, knowing that 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 view wasn't quite as represented uh, today. And they they said these breaks ensure that public services will suffer, or the rest of us will pay more to make up the difference. Um, for, for education, for, for all the things that, that make a state uh, great. Um, you know, recently we've passed a property tax that uh, is going to increase um, what people pay here in a lot of King County, um, reduce some other parts of the state, uh, and that was in part to, to pay for education. Um, that'll make affordability worse in general. Senator, um, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on on that, that trade-off, that, that idea that um, these sort of breaks basically are, are the public uh, paying the cost. Well, Ron Sims ran for governor on talking about elevating our dialogue about our tax system, and, and it's been a long time since we've had that deeper level of dialogue. Let's put a couple things in very important context. First of all, in 1995, we were 11th in the nation in the combined uh, level of taxation as a state. 20 years later to the day, we were 35th in the nation. What happened? So I'm not saying 11th is good and 35 is bad. I'm just saying that that is a structural change. The sales tax, we're a sales tax state and the internet, uh, the Tim Iman initiatives, the generous tax breaks given by the legislature. So deep structural changes underway uh, and, uh, and those all have led to that, that change. So we are on the way toward being a relatively low-tax, low-service state. So there's a lot of legitimacy of those criticisms. The problem is that people feel a very high level of taxation because you're nickeled and dimed to death on little taxes, excise taxes, sales taxes, property taxes, as opposed to a corporate income tax, which has a little bit more structural stability to it. So that's the, the deep issue that we're facing and people feel a, a sense of disconnect, and we're not taxing in a responsible way. The second thing about these uh, corporate taxes is the biggest tax break in the history of Washington State is not the Boeing tax break. The largest tax 
preference in the history of Washington State is how we design how we apportion taxes. So what that means, very quickly, is that you can build a piece of software, write a piece of software, design it, market it, and sell it from a Washington State. You can host it in a data center that's in Washington State. You can be a Washington State customer and use that software. And that whole ecosystem pay no Washington State taxes. When Boeing sells an airplane to Dubai, if it's built here, the taxpayers of Washington do get a piece of it. It's modest, but they get a piece of it. So we have structural issues that are very real and go to the core of the challenge that we face. So it isn't just about the rate of taxes, it's about who pays. Do you have thoughts on that as well? I know you've given a lot of thought to oh, performing. I, I, I couldn't have said it as eloquently. So the, uh, um, I mean, we know we need to fix the system. What's, what is maddening is you cannot continue to see, um, you know, we resolved education. There's a mental health suit that was filed. And my issue is then where is gonna, where the money gonna come? Because mental health is a constitutional requirement in the state. It's explicit. And so we have a system that we acknowledge is failing. So, if, so now we had to address the, the K through 12 system. We're gonna to have to do the mental health system. I'm a regent and higher ed and community colleges are saying, hold a second, you have no idea what the lack of revenue is doing and undermining, not even subtly anymore, what we can offer uh, at the university level or the, what you call the, the college level, the community college levels. And so, I don't know, I mean, there's, there's going to be a day of reckoning and maybe out of that, discussions like this will basically move to alter the kinds of, of, of taxes we have and how they're paid for and the kind of industries we want to locate here. But um, I don't know how many times you gotta get clobbered uh, before it becomes so painful uh, that we begin to say. And so what do people do who are affluent? They put their kids in private schools. Um, and, but we're at the college level, we're really, we're in really rough shape relative to our peers across the country. And the issue is how do you attract that talent to come to universities here and stay here when they're going to come here and find out that the quality of life has been slowly er eroded both within the university and then with the communities that they live in. I'm really, I'm, I am much more worried about the, what happens when my sons are my age, um, um, uh, and what my grandkids' lives will be like. It'll be markedly different than the lives of any of us in this room, and it will not, if we can't, we could be 50th out of 50th one day, 50 out of 51. I keep remembering how the states we have. Uh, we will be, uh, at my age, if again, those numbers don't count, but the, uh, but it's really interesting. I've been watching that. We'll talk about Amazon for a second. So if I had $7 billion, Newark needs $7 billion. Not Amazon, Newark. To go into Newark and say, we're going to give a new employer $7 billion, and Newark, we're really sorry because over the long run you may gain? No. You know, I, looked, so I, was, I started looking at that list, and we used to, when I was at HUD, those were the cities that we used to go in and go, oh, God, where do we start? Because we didn't know where to start. They didn't have the economic wherewithal. They didn't have the, the intensity of, I mean, they're giving away money that I would have assumed would have been used more widely by investment 
in those cities to allow them to function and to be attractive. So they're going to give it to an employer, and some of those cities don't have the function. And the idea that they get enough money from the employees that work there that might, they might be able to get returned. So I look at Atlanta, Georgia. I love Atlanta, Georgia. If Atlanta's city government believes it's going to be the beneficiary of Amazon, they're not. The state is in such bad shape, that money's going to go to the state, and Atlanta will get a little bit, but the state will get more. And maybe that's what they want, but Atlanta believes it's going to be the, become this mecca, uh, and all the money's going to stay there, and that's not going to happen. Uh, so I, 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 I'm, I'm not one of those people that gets really all enthusiastic about give, give them another, you know, just give them a few more billion dollars and they'll come to our state and be attractive. Right. When I look and say, you're not attractive now and you're <laughs> not going to be attractive afterwards. Uh. So, Larry, um, you know, in, in conversations before this, uh, this panel, you had mentioned that Amazon is is kind of creating a race to the bottom to some extent. You've talked to, or, or trying to talk to Senators Murray and Cantwell about it. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit? Uh, you know, in, in what way is this, is, is this going to be bad for workers and good for corporations? Well, one thing that is certain uh, for workers, the challenge is a global economy. We're not just competing against Idaho or South Carolina or Texas but we're also competing against Vietnam and China and Malaysia. And, uh, you know, it's something that we can do, but we need to have the tools. We have a choice. Do we compete based on standard of living, or do we want to compete based on productivity, quality, uh, those sorts of standards, uh, and maintain a standard of living? So what I see in this race to the bottom by depriving states and regions of the revenue by granting these huge tax breaks, uh, we are depriving our colleges, our K-12 systems, our transportation infrastructure systems of the kind of investments that we need to make in order to compete in that high road economic development model as opposed to lowering wages, lowering revenues, eliminating you know, the programs in colleges and schools. So I, I just think that we need to look at this on a more macro level, a nationwide level, and maybe take a look at some federal laws to you know, dampen that tendency that states have to offer up their, uh, their seed corn uh, to corporations uh, that will subsequently uh, you know, court some other uh, state or nation uh, that will give more to the corporations. And, and Chris? Um, you know, I don't see how the federal government can stop this. I think that, that states, you know, one of the fundamental things that states have is the ability to structure their own tax system. And for the federal government to come in and say, we're going to prohibit one kind of, of adjustment, well, you're playing whack-a-mole because they'll come up with something else. Um, you just can't, I don't think, I don't think you can be a, first of all, I don't think, I don't think the federal government has the, the, uh, the desire to essentially take over state finance and put in a uniform set of federal taxes and then sending the money out to the states um, um, through revenue sharing. And that's really the only way they can do it. So I just, well, I'm not certain, I'm not a, an economist like you are, nor I'm a, an attorney. But I do know that uh, 
The federal government does regulate in the area of antitrust. They have, have done regulation for corporations. They have a responsibility to uh, see to the Commerce Clause of the Constitution and ensure, uh, you know, at least in that way, a level playing field. I'm not certain, but I know we have a national problem with respect to states being uh, blackmailed into these uh, very expensive tax breaks. I mean, is, is that what happened here to some extent? Well, I think that had we kept all the jobs, it may have been worth it. But, uh, you know, that's, I think that's why we wanted to have tax incentive accountability. I think that's an interim step, however. I think we do need national reform on tax incentives. Okay. Um, and, and Chris, just really briefly, um, w how do you see this playing out? With, without federal intervention, do you believe that there's going to be a race to the bottom at the expense of taxpayers? Or do you so, so I, I think the, the, the pressures from all of this is to move towards, a, towards tax systems where you are taxing the citizens directly rather than taxing them through the places where they work. I mean, that's, let's face it, you know, people pay taxes, businesses don't pay taxes. When you tax a business, you're ta you're the, ultimately the tax is borne by its owners or its customers or the people who work, for, who work at the business or they're passed back to suppliers where then it's passed on to customers, owners and such and such and such. I mean, there's an illusion here that somehow, you know, we can get a free ride when we tax business. Uh, it isn't a free ride. We're all paying it one way or another. And the trouble when you have a, a heavy reliance on business is that uh, taxes is it gets pushed around with a, and creates a lot of inequities between businesses. And it's distorting a bunch of economic decisions. So, Senator. And, you, know what? and you were actually going, you were, this was, I'm channeling you a little bit, right? So, um, and, and so, uh, and I'm the one, but I don't want to go down the path you were going down. <laughs> um, All right. But, 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 so, and, 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 and because of the inequities that our tax system creates between businesses, the legislators are under constant pressure to put little adjustments in. Senator, um, you want to jump in here? Yeah. I do. Let's, so let's rock and roll with a little bit of data. <laughs> there are five oil refineries in Washington State. British Petroleum, uh, Phillips 66, and Tesoro, and, and uh, two more. So there's five oil refineries. They have $16.4 billion in 2017 of taxable revenue of Washington State. So that's the appropriate taxable amount for Washington State. They paid in 2017 a total in sales, business, and occupation. Uh, MOTCA, which is a fund that cleans up water when oil leaks, so it's their primary uh, water cleanup fund, and public utility tax and excise taxes, all combined taxes in the state of Washington in 2017, they paid $199 million in taxes. That's an effective tax rate of all combined taxes of 1.15%. So the idea that we're taxing some of those corporations a little too much is, is simply not borne out by the so, data. Let me give you just one other, if I could, Chris, for a second. So... The prescription drug warehousing uh, entities, so McKesson and the, the folks that sort of control the whole ecosystem, uh, had in Washington State $5.6 billion of taxable revenue last year. 
they paid $5.5 million in combined taxes. That's all of the warehousing companies combined, not any one company. So the effective tax rate of that entity was 0.4.5%. My point is that the ecosystem that we have built in effect has eliminated meaningful level of, ta of taxation from corporate entities almost entirely from most corporations. Most taxes are paid by small business, are paid by service sectors, and are paid by middle income individuals in this state. So at a structural level, we have to acknowledge that the most economically efficient tax system is low rates, broadly applied with few exemptions. We have categorically the opposite, high rates, narrowly applied with hundreds of exemptions. Uh, as, as the act... Can I jump back in just very, very quick? Yeah. So the, the oil refineries, it was about $200 million you're talking about, right? In round numbers. Th that's they correct. Have about, they have a, just about in round numbers 2,000 employees. So we're generating on taxes from those rich, uh, refineries $100,000 per job a year. The typical business, it's more like $5,000 a, a year. And, and the, que the question is, is that, you know, what, how do you, when you look across businesses, sort of what is the numerator you really want, denominator you want to look at in figuring out when you're apportioning taxes around? And I think our gross receipts tax is actually what's giving us this tremendous amount of, of, um, of, uh, uh, of revenue from the, uh, there are two gross receipts tax with the Motka tasks, and from the, from the uh, petroleum refineries, and I've done some calculations that suggest that if, if, they, were had, if they had an income tax instead of a, uh, of, um, of, uh, of a gross receipts tax, the tax bill would actually cons be considerably lower up for them. So these are not, these are actually, this is, a, this could, you could argue that, that the refineries are a victim of our tax system and you, not a free You ride. could. You could also and argue that they just, that under the federal tax law that just happened a few weeks ago, they received a tax cut that's about t at least 10 times the value of what they're paying in Washington in state taxes combined. So, um, gentlemen, as the policymakers on, on the panel, what, what do you think of Mr. Brown's idea that there might need to be federal intervention uh, to prevent a race to the bottom uh, among states. You need a new president and a new Congress. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah, what, what, I was, what are your thoughts? I mean, is that sort of thing out of bounds? You know, the federal government coming in and, and, and kind of laying the, the rules of the road? I think not only do we have our answer right there, but I think we have uh, a scenario in place where, um, where there is such a desire for quality of life and for, for strong economic infrastructure and jobs that you just have an inevitable passion to try to build uh, that economic infrastructure. And so we have quality of life and we have some of the world's greatest companies because we have an educated workforce, we have quality public infrastructure, we have civically engaged people and we have um, a healthy business climate because of it. Um, so we have about five more minutes. Uh, if there's any questions uh, in the audience, happy to open it up. Um, yes. Sure. Um, two real quick questions. One regarding any federal coming in. Wouldn't the global competition totally 
outstrip any benefits that a federal mandate do if they can't go to anywhere in the U.S. because no one in the U.S. is going to give them any benefits, they will go to the places you already mentioned that they are already seeking. And the second question, it, a lot of the, the fundamental difference in paying these companies up front versus investing in the cities with that same money seems to be just the greater culture of trying to do something now because there is so much pressure to get profits sooner than later and by bringing a company in now you're saying, hey look, I did something rather than the long arduous process of trying to actually build up that quality of life through infrastructure, through education, through uh, the public benefits that you would otherwise spend that money on. You want to jump in on the international competition? Yeah, I, I think there, you know, there's something to think about as far as international competition is concerned. Uh, I think that our main competition, at Boeing at least, is Europe uh, with Airbus. And, uh, you know, they have launch aid for uh, the uh, Airbus company in the constituent countries, uh, which is one of the justifications for our state tax incentives is to at least try to level that playing field. The other uh, thing that goes unconsidered uh, about subsidies for our competition uh, is nationalized health care. That uh, we're at Boeing, you know, 1100 to 1400 bucks a month per employee is tacked on top of the cost of doing business otherwise uh, that is not replicated in Europe. Uh, so uh, it's, it's very complicated, but I think that within our own nation, we shouldn't be uh, racing to the bottom, uh, you know, depriving our regions of the resources they need to make sure that Boeing and other companies have educated, trained workers to uh, do that, do the work. Chris, you want to? So I will just throw in a quip. Um, the uh, businesses pay 58% of uh, taxes, state and local taxes in Washington State, uh, compared with 44%, which is the national average. Um, the, 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 the businesses in Washington don't see themselves as a, in a race to the bottom. They see themselves as being in a race to the middle. Uh, um, Ma'am, you first. Um, last time we heard uh, Governor Inslee and Governor Brown talk about connecting high-speed rail up and down the West Coast. But I, and I happen to know both uh, former Governor Evans and Bill Gates Sr., both of whom tried to bring tax reform to this state through either legislative or initiative processes. The fact is that we, we just don't seem to want to vote for any tax reform. I absolutely agree with Ron and Ruben. We need substantial, really structural reform. But how do we get it done? What's the political process for getting there? Ruben, you want to? Bottom-up engagement. It has to come through bold public initiative. We will have, what I worry about is that we, you can't, watch some of the institutions hit bottom. We used to pride ourselves at having great universities. Uh, you can't imperil that. We wanted to have a fully funded K through 12 system, and we're losing that. And the issue is, 
it's going to be painful when we get there, and maybe that will spark interest in the reforms we need, but why sink so low? Uh, but the numbers are inevitable. I mean, you can't have the influxes we have and be able to sustain universities, uh, the, the colleges, and K through 12. I can remember going to a meeting and saying it would be really interesting when you go over, when, when you get through, when I, after I retired, my wife decided she'd get out of the country. So um, it was interesting going to places where everybody was multilingual um, and being embarrassed that I wasn't. My wife speaks four languages, so it was easy for her. It was not easy for me. Uh, I didn't know whether they were saying that's an ugly guy in front of us. I couldn't tell. <laughs> but one of the things that's interesting is you can't even get schools to ensure that our students can speak more than one language because they can't pay for it. In an age where being multilingual is going to be a requirement for uh, effective economic growth. So I don't know how we're going to get out of what we do, but this has got to be come to an end if we want to be a vibrant, competitive state uh, throughout the rest of this century. All right, um, I'm getting the signal, but we'll, we'll get to your question after we'll wrap up here. Uh, thanks so much, everybody, for, for coming out this morning. Can we have another round of applause for our panelists? <laughs>